As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How do I sound now? Sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, here we go. And it is a summertime edition of Hoops Adjacent on the Athletic NBA Show. David Aldridge is hot-ass D.C. We're in mourning as we tape this because the Nats have traded another, well, they've traded the best young player since Ted Williams uh, as we speak for a whole bunch of magic beans and everything's going to be great in five years, blah, 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 blah. <sighs> in the Bay with a team that's just the farm system for everybody else. Don't even, don't even get me started. Even, I remember. I remember when we got Frankie Montas. You know what I'm saying? Like, All right, here you go. Well, Frankie Montas is gone, <laughs> and guess where he's going? Did they, did they even tell to guys Yankees. to buy in Oakland when they get there? They, or they just have like a hotel? They just they just you rotated through. They like, all just like, hey man, go stay by the lake. You're gonna be here a couple of years. That's the nicest part. <laughs> Damn. Well, especially now that your general manager over there, Billy Bean, he'll he trade you two years in advance. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. He, he can't. All right, so, in. so our, so we, we are ostensibly going to talk about the incredible columns that my colleagues have written. Howard Bryant from ESPN is joining us this week on Hoops Adjacent. And I'm so, so delighted he could join us because Howard is my writing idol. He is. <laughs> Me too. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, he's my writing idol. Like, like he has Mark, the he has the writing life I wish I had, Marcus. <laughs> Listen, you know to, what I'm saying? Uh, I used to go to my neighbor's house uh when I was a youngster and I wrote for the high school paper, right? The tech scribe, but just mostly to write about myself. But <laughs> yeah. I ain't know I ain't know nothing about journalism at all until I started writing right for the high school paper. But my neighbor will always have Howard Bryan piece on oh, yeah. the fridge. Oh yeah. Like to like, you know, mostly like, hey, you a writer. Here go another black writer. Right. So right? That was, <laughs> and it was like it would be like Howard Bryant or uh Ralph Wiley. Uh, yes. Or, of course. Uh, of course. Jeffrey. Uh remember when Jeffrey Jeff was at the Chronicle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. all oh, these little black inspirations. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's that's how I got going. Well right? we love that when I remember when I think I was the last hire at the old trip for Bob Maynard before he sold the paper to uh, Is that right? Really? Yes. Oh, I was wow. the last hire. That's and, incredible. And I remember 
that right before we left and Bob Maynard, we're all in the room and he's telling us he's got cancer mm. and he's telling us that, um, you know, and everybody's all sour and, di- and we're down. Everybody's just down because of what he's, you know, what he's saying. And I remember somebody said, you know, what's the next step? And all he said was to get well. And that's how we all knew that it was real bad. Yeah. And when we got sold and we all got fired and had to re you know, reapply to uh, to Alameda News Group, I remember Bob Valley, the sports editor, came over and he said, "Listen, um, you know this is going to be it for us, but I want you to consider yourself to be in the uh, the line of Ralph Wiley and Monty Pool and the guys, you know." that made this sports page really proud. And I was like, Wiley, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it was just such though. an honor to be part of that. And I know Marcus, you feel this cause you live it, you know, to oh, be, yeah. I mean, Oakland's a special, special place. And to, to even be in that trip tower, man, you just felt like there were some big shoes that you had to um, follow in. Yeah. Oh my gosh! What an incredible story. Wiley, man, <laughs> Wiley was the absolute. Best. That, that's pressure, Howard. No, <laughs> you know, I would just, that's, I that's would just, pressure. I would. And just I remember be, when I met Ralph. Yeah, I first met Ralph at back when they. Do you remember when they used to do the? Um, oh, I forgot the name of it. But they used to do like this award show every year. It's not an award show. It was an award a, a, a night, and they were honoring Kurt Flood. Mm-hmm. Um. And and Wiley was there, and it was the first time I'd met him. And he was immediately talking about Bob Valley. And I told him what Valley had said, and he said, yeah, Valley, he was the first and only editor that I had who didn't care about the paint job. Hmm. You know, let that? you go out and do your job and do what you right. felt. You know, and here's the man who invented the term Billy Ball. And it just was, right. once again, just to be part of that, is always just it's it's too much it well it what you lived up to it you live up to it with your incredible writing um howard's new book is on ricky henderson it, it's it's phenomenal as, as everything else if you want to read i mean i go back this there's, there's very few books i go back and read a second and third time but i i have read juice in the game so many times i can't even you know remember how many times I've read it um because there's some people who write and they write well but there's some people who write who write impactfully and importantly and and Howard writes importantly um and your your new book as I say Ricky the life and legend of an American original is out now go buy it it's fantastic um but he's but you've been such a great writer for so long and I'm so glad we could get you today because uh, I, I'm not blowing smoke to either you or to Marcus. I was so, I was so thrilled to read what you both wrote about Bill Russell, and I'll throw Vinny Goodwill from Yahoo in there as well, because I couldn't, I couldn't find it this time. I don't know why. I could not find the words. The words usually always come to me, and I think it was partly because I just didn't feel. I didn't know how I could possibly make Bill Russell's life more meaningful in in death and in my words than than it was 
as he lived it, if, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't live up to the man. I just couldn't do it. And and I felt bad about it. And then I wrote, read what you wrote and what, what Marcus wrote and what Vinny wrote. And I was so happy that there were people who could rise to the occasion <laughs> and, and do it well. And, and you just wrote a beautiful column on ESPN.com. And people know I ain't really trying to give ESPN a whole lot of attention. But in, <laughs> but in this case, you have to because it's too good. It's too good for you not to re- read. <laughs> the most sophisticated philosophy was Popeye. I am what I am. <laughs> to your satisfaction, not to anybody else's. To yours. Just do the best you can. I want to talk to you both just about how you how you sat there at the at the laptop and the stuff started coming out. Like, how did that happen? How did you how did you get it get it to flow in a way that made sense to you? Go ahead, Howard. I want to hear yours. No, I'm, 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 bat, I'm, bat, I'm batting second. Bomani sent you to call him out as well, he, so I want to... He's batting, he's batting behind Juan Soto. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so to, to be to be, to be be fair, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not close, so it was easier, mm. if, if that would I mean, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't experience Bill Russell. Like, I never met him. Uh, so it was, it was kind of easy, but I've always had this in the back of my mind. I actually had a couple of years ago, then a pandemic hit. I was trying to figure out how we could get a statue of Bill Russell. Cause I live in West Oakland and it's, it's critically changing. And the people who move here have no idea where mm-hmm. they've moved. Right. And so part of, I want a monument <laughs> right here. So it'd be like, right? yeah, you, all this tech money here. Don't forget where you are. You know what I'm saying? Like this, mm-hmm. this was that spot. So, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm more of, it's more of like a history lesson for me, but the part that always stood out to me about like Bill Russell and Huey Newton uh, is how no, none of these people are from here. And Howard, you, you wrote about this in, in Ricky, the, the, the migration that happened from the South to here, uh, Oakland was one of those hubs, right? Where people mm-hmm. flock to and all of the culture, all of like the enrichment, all of the, the history and the people and just the vibe that makes this place special. It's, it's because of that migration that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And we grew up, you hearing about it. Like, like <laughs> the, the reason, the reason like Ricky's this book, like it's so personal to me. Cause I grew up lying about Ricky Henderson being my cousin. This is what the past. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You was related to Russell hammer too short or Ricky like that's, or Gary Payton. Right. You have to somehow say you was related. So I'm like, yeah, Ricky Henderson's my cousin. No, yeah, it's, you know, all this and that, but you, the OGs always told you about, you couldn't have this hoop conversation, especially we came up with Jordan, right? You couldn't have this hoop conversation with some old head telling you about Bill Russell. He from a climb is high, right? You, so the, the, the part where it becomes real to me is how they created something that I benefited from, right? Like they're kind of the culture that they created from the Harlem of the West, right on down to the hip hop, Revive like the hip hop era of of gangster rap. All of that starts from this infusion of black people here. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So to me, that 
that was the the only way it was tangible to me because otherwise he's just a a story of a great man you know what i'm saying otherwise i would i wouldn't be able to write it if i felt like y'all felt because to me how do you encapsulate that so i had a very finite window to explain bill russell like hey he represents this whole movement that happened that like yeah. Isabel Wilkerson wrote about that has impacted so many neighborhoods and so many communities. Like we owe it to them. You, you always hear about that. Talk about the greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. You could make a good case that our greatest generation was those people who like, yeah. like, yo, we're done with Jim Crow. We're out of here. <laughs> we're, right. We don't even know where we don't even know where we go. We don't know what's waiting for us, but we out. <laughs> you yeah. know what yeah, I'm saying? And, and because of that, like, we, because of that, Chicago and, and, and New York and L.A. and you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's the cool part. And and when you list like the great people of that era, like Bill Russell is is top tier. Yeah, like, I, I think that for, for me, what I found and I, I love all of that. And and, and that is the, the thing. We talk about the great migration and we talk about how it changed Chicago and how it changed Detroit, and how it changed Philly and these places and obviously Los Angeles as well. We never tie it to sports. Yeah, yeah. We never yeah. mention it when it comes to sports. We talk about, oh man, look at how LA's got Eric Davis and Eddie Murray and those brothers, and how come? And look at the way these different cities have. And when you talk about Oakland, it's all Frank and Veda and Kurt Flood and and Russell. But we talk about them as if they were born there, and some of the guys were, but they don't come from there. Yeah. And so to me, what I found fascinating about it was the creation of Black Oakland is the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. Everything that we talk about now came from came from that. And when it comes to Russell, when it comes to Russell, for me, this is all in so many ways. What we do is autobiographical. Why do we write the things we write? Because they touch us personally, even if we're not putting ourselves in the center. We're talking about something about you protecting your time. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me. You grow up in Boston, the specter of Bill Russell is everywhere. The specter of Bill Russell is on you when you grow up in the 70s and the early in the 80s like I did because the Celtics were so dominant. Everybody else lost back then. Nobody won. I mean, the Bruins won two in 70 and 72. The Red Sox never won. The Patriots were the Patriots. And so all you had was the Celtics. And for me in the mid-70s, you know, I was a, you know, Jojo White, Charlie Scott, Havlicek, that team. Mm-hmm. But that team was, you know, Paul Silas, another McClyman's high guy. Yeah. You know, yes. that yes. team came from the Russell era. And then you grow up in when I'm in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, when you're in the 80s. Boston is now associated with the Larry Bird era. Yeah. And everybody is looking at the Celtics as a white team. All the brothers around my way, they were 76ers fans. Sure. You know, and then <laughs> later they were Laker fans and then they were Pistons fans. But we were still I mean, if you're really black Boston, you supported the Celtics. Yeah, because of what those black players went through living in Boston. Yeah. So and Russell was always at the center of that, yeah. you know, you, you know, and the black community in Roxbury, Mattapan, Dorchester. You know, everybody wanted to protect and support Russell. Everybody, because he owned the restaurant down the road. He owned Slade's. He used to get his hair cut over. I think you know, all the black players get their hair cut over at Foggy's at the barbershop down there. So this was all personal. And then you come to Oakland. You know, I start my career in Oakland at the at the old Trib in '91. And what am I doing? I'm covering the Oakland Athletic League. I'm covering preps. And where am I? I'm at Mac. You know, you're at McClyman's all the time because they had a really good basketball team. 
Covering me riding a bench at Oakland Tech. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I found and I found myself at Mac for basketball and over at Skyline for football because they had John Beam and that team was winning all the time. And I see did I get eye roll right there? No, no, I'm looking at no, the no, time. Marcus. Did I get oh, a skyline eye roll right there? I can't eye roll because my wife is a skyline. But yeah, absolutely, we hated skyline. We lost every. We would schedule skyline for homecoming. The dumbest thing ever. Like, why are we losing the skyline for homecoming? Forty-two to nothing. Yeah. But what I didn't know about skyline was that skyline was created to be a white high school. Yep, absolutely. And you know, and, and that Tom Hanks and those guys were the first generation of that school, and they tried to redistrict. Skyline to keep all the black students out of it. Right. Right. And that's how, that's why all the feeders, that's why McClyman's had, you go, how did this one school get all these great players? That's why. That's right. And that's what I said to Monty Poole. I was like, our colleague Monty and Joe, and I wish that Joe were around when I was working on this and Joe had already passed. And I knew he was sick and I tried to call him, but he just wasn't in a position to talk. And then of course he passed away. I wanted to ask Joe, how did your family get to move to East Oakland yeah, in, in yeah. the 1940s? Right. Because he What's wasn't associated story? with military or anything like that. I'm like, how did you those get out of West Oakland? Those were all white communities. Brooksville, mm-hmm. Sobrani Park, those were all made for white communities who worked during on the, on the war-related industry. Sure. Right? Like, That's sure. right. Absolutely. I grew up in, a, in one of them neighborhoods that... It used to be white, and then it wasn't. <laughs> that, that's right. And Monty's family, same thing. They grew up in Brookfield Village. What I also found fascinating, to your point, D.A., about this was when you start digging into the, the history of it, everybody's from the same spot. Like Dave Everybody. Stewart was telling me yeah. that they used to call Oakland Little New Orleans. Hmm. And that you start looking at the percentage. It, it was, I think when one of the census things I, I, I had seen, it was something like, 70 in 1950 70 to 75% of black oakland was from texas and louisiana right right yeah and nobody's so, from it, here it's crazy <laughs> that i always and i'd be very curious to wonder why some why certain people certain group went to oakland went to the bay area and then a certain group went to la i just wonder and they're all from texas and louisiana right like yep. well, the black it migration was, it was the railroads There's the a railroad, railroad yeah. stop had two stops in the west uh it was supposed to be three la and the last stop was west oakland it was supposed to go up higher mm-hmm. but then it stopped so west oakland became the spot because you had the port and you had the railroad all right mm-hmm. there. So this was like this was like Black Central. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. all these people coming. So LA and 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 Oakland were the two stops on the west with the railroad. Yeah. It was so popping. I learned this doing the research from it's so it was so popping. San Francisco got shook and built the bridge. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was like we need to get like, over oh, man. <laughs> yeah, cuz cuz remember the gold rush made the San Francisco port the big port. Yeah. But when this happened, now the the port of Oakland was popping. Like it was the second like biggest big. port in the so, country. So they got shook. It was like, hold on, man, we we gotta get some of this ground traffic coming yeah. our way. And they built the they built the Bay Bridge. So if anybody always wonder why Oakland got this beef against San Francisco, like this has been going on <laughs> forever. This ain't new, right? Dude, it's yeah. crazy. It's well crazy. what I got it was yeah, wild but, about that too was the fact that to answer your question, DA, then the the a lot of the businesses, the canneries and the rest of it out in, in Oakland, they were they were paying for and housing black people to come. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. were essentially recruiting. Right. And so 
this was a spot to go. I mean, I just found it fascinating that Bill Russell is from Monroe and so he's so is Huey Newton, and Huey, they both right? lived in Acorn. Right. Right. How does that happen? How does that How happen? How do they go from this little town in Louisiana and move across the country and end up in the same little town? And end up in the same block. <laughs> right. A- exactly right. That's crazy. And you, the, the prism of races, of course, permeates everything in this country. Uh, <laughs> just look at the third stanza of the national anthem, if you don't believe me. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just ridiculous. Um, but we, you, you, you have this perspective, Howard, that I wanted to tap into because being a and I've talked to guys who lived in Boston who were from Boston who grew up in Roxbury and I get I get that what you're talking about and I wonder about and that's why I think guys like Cedric Maxwell are always kind of like I don't defense is not the right word they 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 think people maybe don't understand the full picture in the history of Boston and, and, and black Boston, they right? And, there is um, no black Boston be, until you ask somebody. People right, don't know that there's right. anybody from Boston who's because, black. Because, you know why, Howard? Because for me, I grew up, being somebody who grew up in Washington, D.C., Boston to me stopped with Ted Landsmark. That was the end of Boston as far as that's I was right. concerned. I was done. That's a, that's a, I'm that's done a with you. View though, right? and that, you know what I'm exactly saying? Right. And, and that's that's why I was saying in the piece, Boston has not recovered from desegregation. Yeah, They did not recover from busing because, I mean, people used to make fun of me and I was like, look, I'll be straight up with you. I am a Boston Celtics fan out of protection for all of those black players. Mm-hmm. Robert Parrish was my favorite player. Tiny Archibald, Gerald Henderson, Joe White, Jones, Sam Jones, going all the way back, right? All of them, right? Yes, yes. And then as the Celtics became a better team, as I said, and you guys are basketball guys, you know this. 1986, the Celtics won the championship in an 80% black league. 10 of the 14 players on that roster were white. Yeah. That cannot be an accident. Right. You know how hard <laughs> right. it is yes. to do? Yes, yes. To, to do that? Right. I mean, and, and, and you know, when you looked at the league at that time, you essentially had three teams that everybody knew were the white clubs in the NBA. Boston, Utah, Phoenix. Everybody yeah. knew it. Yeah. Right? I mean, how do you trade Rick Roby straight up for Dennis Johnson? <laughs> right. right? Right? I mean, <laughs> right. how do you how do you make that deal unless you're simply catering? It's the same thing of trading Bill Russell for Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagan. Because you're right. you're you Taking are playing Hugo Green. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly. you're you're playing to your fan base. Yeah. 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 I really and, do think, Howard, you I think especially how you started this piece is is the important point that is so lost and it's very irritating for me. Like having in my last book I was researching the Celtics. I didn't know half this stuff, man. I didn't know what they went through. Yeah. The, these black players were so gangster, it morphs any semblance of boldness from the modern athlete. That's like, right. Right. They faced, they faced <laughs> right. imminent danger yes. with how they were rocking. And with the conversation becoming so, as you say, like superficial, right? And mm-hmm. so debate centered. Mm-hmm. Like why I feel like we should revere those players in the way baseball reveres Babe Ruth. Where That's it's right. like we're yes. gonna separate them into this untouchable category. Right. Like you don't even talk about them out the side of your mouth. There's no because, context. Nobody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody like, says, but ba- but Babe Ruth didn't play against any black players. You know, yeah, like, yeah, nobody exactly. says that, right? And, 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 no, and nobody says, oh well, Babe, Babe Ruth and, and Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio, they didn't have to. 
you know, play a division series or an ALCS. They just say those guys were winners. Yeah. But yet we always yeah. try to find some way to denigrate the, that golden age. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those guys went through what they went through. And one of the things that they went through the most that we never talk about was just simple equipment. You look at these guys playing in low top chucks. Right, right, right. <laughs> somebody somebody put on Twitter a picture of the shooter Bill Russell played. They didn't even have it's air insane. Like, like you played games in those shoes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like playing, that's crazy. Let's go, let's go play a doubleheader in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Right. right, and play three games in three nights in three cities. Try that no, flying co- flying commercial. Try that sometime flying, in 1958. <laughs> I remember looking at, I think it was the Warriors. I think in the, in 75 when the Warriors played Phoenix, I think it was in the playoffs. I'm not exactly sure on that. But I was looking at those day-by-days, and they played home, 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 and home. Yeah. Right? They didn't yeah. even play two and then go. They yeah. were playing home game travel, home game travel. Right, right. <laughs> That's a yeah. lot of travel. I never considered myself a leader. My ambition was to try to conduct myself in a fashion that my father could be proud of. I remember the proudest day I had. We played one-on-one and I got his respect. That was the most of my important day in basketball. My father always emphasized to me and my brother, nobody can help you unless you help yourself first. Self-help, that was the kind of the philosophy. I was covering the bullets and, and to see you know, there were four seats in first class and it was the head coach and the trainer and the assistant coach and maybe the most senior player. The rest of the players were in coach with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you yep. see Charles Jones, 6'9", in a coach seat. In a little in, coach seat. You know what I mean? Like on US Air to to Pittsburgh to, to the Phoenix or wherever. It's just, this is and crazy. He was, happy, he was happy it wasn't a bus. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So... Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. But I want I, I just I want to talk more about Russell and and again the thing that you that you wrote about so brilliantly, Howard. And you both wrote about it brilliantly, but the notion of anger and the perception of anger and what 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 always annoyed me about the perception of bill russell was that he was somehow this angry black man mm-hmm. he was angry when it was warranted but most of the time he was just spouting facts exactly <laughs> you know what and i mean like funny i mean you know what i find fascinating about that too when it comes to russell is that you have all these people saying that he was sour bitter angry and yet they always talk about his laugh. Yes. <laughs> how, how on earth can somebody so sour laugh that much that everybody knows his laugh? Right. Clearly, you're not spending enough time understanding who he is and where he's from and what made him. And you say the and exact I, same thing about Oscar Robertson. That's he's right. He's bitter. No, he's not. He's, he's just not, saying not bitter. He's just saying the triple double wasn't a big deal because there wasn't a stat for it when he was playing. That's, he just, that's right. He just did what? it. You know? let, let me ask you guys a question because this is a very Russell-centric question. What do you do when someone doesn't accept your apology? Mm. Like, how how are we left with that? Because the the story of, of, of black and white America has always been one of reconciliation. Somewhere along the line, we're supposed to accept your apology. Yeah. We're expected to, you know, things are better than they were. Move on. Things are better yeah. than they used to be. <laughs> right, Let's right, move right. on, you know. Yeah, or yeah. isn't this progress? And that's one of the reasons why I always say, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear about the first black whatever. There's only one time I want to hear about the first black whatever. And that is if you honestly believe that this black person is the most unique and remarkable yeah. black person who could do something that no other black person in the history of black people could do. Otherwise, right. what we're really talking about is you. Well, that's what John, yeah, John Thompson used to always say he was insulted by the question because the question assumed that he was the first one qualified to do it. He actually (laughs) could do it. So, so my thing when it comes to Russell is Bill Russell recognized early on, I'm not going to engage in this type of arena, right? That I'm not going to be the one who's allowing you to reconcile with me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be me and I'm going to leave it to you to figure out why you are the way you are. Because mm-hmm. really, it's what I tell my son all the time. All this stuff happening in the world, we all talk about how polarizing and how divided we are. I said, no, this is just white people talking to other white people. Because mm-hmm. our needs haven't changed. 
Our desires haven't changed. The things that we're asking for haven't changed. And if you're Bill Russell, I think when you're reading Gary Pomerantz's book, The Last Pass, which is a terrific book, Mm -hmm. and you go back and you look at these different moments with Russell, like when I used to talk to Tommy Heinton about this all the time, essentially what they were saying was Bill Russell didn't take, you know, he didn't accept our apology, you know, that he was not willing to play along and say, it's okay, things are better than they were. He was like, no, 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 you need to figure yourselves out. I mean, I'm, I'm fine. You need to figure yourselves out. Athlete's responsibility, assess what do I have and how can I use that to make the world a better place for everybody. My responsibility to you and your response for me is the same. I will respect your humanity and you respect mine. One of the reasons we found Mentor, the idea is to, who can you bring with you? I was raised under, like that's essentially the spirit of Oakland, right? We saw Mm -hmm. him do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, hey, and then you got Huey Newton, right? It's like, (laughs) we got the Black Panthers, right? (laughs) Right. You can apologize all you want to. Ain't nobody think about that. That's that's why I think, I don't think we understand how gangster that was to do. Exactly, right. 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 Like that's, that to me is imminent danger. That, it's right. exactly you talk about guys like like uh, I always wonder like what was it like for Tommy Heinsohn? He was the one white guy starting with four black dudes, right? Like, right, right. Like, like, <laughs> he had to be a gangster too, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, got, and got rookie of the year, right? Over Bill Russell, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and, 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 and Russ and Russ let him know that yeah. should have been my award. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing, right? Like when I say, what do you do when someone doesn't accept your apology? What I'm saying is, is that look at what happens. When you come to somebody white and you're not grateful, and that's how they saw Russell. They saw Russell as somebody who wasn't grateful. It's like, look, can't you see we're trying to do better? We're allowing you to play in this league and 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 we're telling you how great you are and we're we're trying to make this right. And you're not giving us our grace for trying to make it right. Mm -hmm. And you see how angry people get when you're not willing to be conciliatory with them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really where it's like, oh, and that, well, you know, he's, he's uppity and he's, you know, <laughs> he's angry and all that. It's not his problem. It's right. your problem. Yeah. Yeah. And the and- expectation, the expectation is, and I get this, whether you're in a relationship, you know, like what's the worst thing to say when your girl gets mad at you, right? And you say, I'm sorry. And her response is, you should be. You like, should. No, 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 I'm trying, to I'm trying to apologize to you, right? I mean, what, so if you're Bill Russell, like I'm reading the, you know, the, the you know, the story of Koozie after all these years, right? Koozie's yeah. trying to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And Russell's like, that moment has passed. Exactly. Exactly. He's not wrong. Right. Right. You can't fix what happened in 1961. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what you say now? That's why I always say, what did they do then? What it mattered? What did they I do know, right? then? What, <laughs> Not what now. Is cool, what is so cool about this that will never get old, never get old, 
is that he was always all right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> like fine. He was, yes. Like he was always all right. He's yes. still, I'm going to kick it. I'm I'm going to live a life that's full. Like you say, yeah. I'm going to keep smiling. Like he was always all right. That's, to me, that's, man, that is so good. Like if you read like Second Wind, man, it's yeah. just riffing, bro. Like he just said, <laughs> <laughs> he just said whatever he want to say. Like, yeah, that's right. In those times, that was yeah. insane. I mean, well, and, that, I mean, and the hard part of this too, from a basketball standpoint, and and especially you know Marcus you 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 know this because you know you're dealing with two of the greatest players that ever played the game right now and everybody kept saying early on who's the number one who's a one oh, yeah. who's it you know who's a oh, one yeah. who's a two right whose team is it you know da you know whose team is it yeah what do you do if you're Bob Cousy in 1960 1957 and you are the center of the league. You're the face of the league. You are the league. You've never even been to a final. Never mind when a championship. You've never been to the finals. And then this guy comes along, and you have to acknowledge he's the difference maker. Mm-hmm. Just from a, not even a racial standpoint, just from a competitive standpoint, what do you do when you realize this guy's the real deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does, how does that shake you? psychically you know what i mean like, like right. how does that you know how do you how do you accept that and i and again i don't think he did in that time right like he, he never accepted it right you know? so and then on also, top of that he, he wasn't it, encouraged to accept it either by no right no and then on but, top but of I'm that not, but i don't accept your tears now you know what i mean like, but, and, but also how do you how do you accept the other piece of this which is Everybody also knows that you're getting the dispensation, you're getting the free dinners, you're getting the, you know, the ski trips, you're getting all this when the other guy's better. The other guy's the reason why you're winning these championships and you know that you have to defer to him, but your whiteness keeps you in front. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're Mm -hmm. Bob Cousy, you kind of know who the better player is right sure. now. And, and your know. coach knows. And, your, and coach your coach knows. knows. <laughs> your coach and lets your coach, your coach lets him read the paper at practice. <laughs> your, your coach, your coach did not draft you when it was right. time to draft you. <laughs> right. right. And later acquires you in other means, but right. yeah, no your question. coach knew. Woo. No question. It's a hundred percent. And so, you know, when you're dealing with somebody like Russell, you're dealing with such a a, a towering figure. And to the point, what I was trying to get at in the first part of the of, of of the story was all this ranking stuff that we do now, it doesn't even apply to him. Like there's no right. there's no real measure when you're bringing someone like Bill Russell into the mix. Right. It just doesn't work on any level. Right. No, it doesn't. And as I always say to people who use all of the arguments you hear these days, if it was easy somebody else would have won 11 rings in 13 years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, nobody else did. Also, no, 11 rings ain't enough though. Like that's to say he won 11 rings ain't enough because you got to say when he won those 11, right? Yeah. It's that's a different time. Like a win in a championship. Then like we, if you talk about the degree of difficulty, if you could add somehow an inflation figure of pressure, <laughs> it would rise then. It wouldn't shrink. Yeah, right. It would no, rise the back content. then. Wait, right. What is the equivalent? What What is the metric of an eight-team NBA in 2022? The concentration of talent Dude, on those rosters. I dude, I keep 
No, this is what this is part of what drives me crazy. He played Wilt every week. He didn't play him twice a year. Exactly. He played him every week. What are you talking about? Also, like now, the worst thing that could happen to you is people troll you on social. Like yeah. the worst thing that happened to you back then was life got rough. Right? Yeah. Like, like you yeah. couldn't check out, you couldn't go to some, you know exorbitant place where you can Going surround yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Like, the, 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 the pressure of winning, right? Like, remember, uh, uh, Sam wasn't even going to go there, right? He was like, yo, I'm going to be a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> he, right, right. He got drafted by the Celtics and was like, I'm never going to play for them, yeah. right? Like, I'm, I'm going to be riding a bitch. The, the amount of pressure to win, if you're a black team, and you playing in Boston, and you don't win? Right. <laughs> like, we barely accepted you now. If that's you 100%. don't win, like, you got it. So, to me, them 11 championships, that's a different level. Especially especially seven, eight, nine, where it's like, yo, you, no you better win. Eight in a row. Eight in you a row. better win. Like, that, to me, that we undervalue yeah. the value of those, right? It's just like, oh, he won 11 titles. Like, nah, you thought... Hold on, you thought it was tough now. <laughs> right. Right. It's like the great players, black or white, it doesn't make any difference. They never take anything for granted. Obama entered into a field and went all the way to the top and never lost his real humanity. And that's what... Uh, happens to a lot of people that are successful. Steve Kerr, and he's still, I'm sure he's told you this too, Marcus, he says, after after the Bulls won three and after the Warriors, we, there ain't no way we're, we're going to win no six in a They're row. Done. Are you nuts? Done. Done. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Yeah. We were well, done. I always, <laughs> say, <clears throat> I always say that it is harder today than ever to be a champion. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because by today's measures, you get treated like a legend, you get compensated like a legend, you get the visibility of a legend without being a legend. Before doing anything Before legendary. doing anything even <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah. Those dudes, they yeah, had to win legends. to get money. Yeah. They right. were literally prize fighters. They had to go out there. If you didn't win, you didn't get paid. Right, right. It's, you know? It, it, it just, it just, it, it is a, it is a damnable lie and mistreatment of the era that our parents grew up in. You know, I, I say this all the time. I have no idea. The scope of my father's life is so much more significant than anything that I will do in the course of my life. For a man who grew up, who was born in Tampa, Florida, with no running water mm. and, and thought, and it was a step up to go to the projects. That's right. That was a step yeah. up. Well, and that's <laughs> what people don't realize either is that when the, when the housing projects were first built in the 1950s, everybody wanted to go there. Right. Yeah. They had right. elevators. Right. Yeah. And, and right. bathrooms. And ba exactly. <laughs> Nobody was like, damn, why are these windows so small? People actually <laughs> wanted to live there. You know what I mean? And, so, and some people did not get to, right? Imagine that. That's people. right. Like, ah, right. I didn't even get in. Well, right. right. Well, Nicholas Lehman's book, The Promised Land, talks about that, about the projects in Chicago. It's a really terrific book because it talks about the lack of screening and how the projects turned into the projects, right? right? They used to be a desirable place, and then the government just stopped screening and stuff just 
just went sideways. Angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just so I always get angry when people denigrate anybody, much but certainly the accomplishments of black men and black women in the 1940s and 50s. Who had, no, no, like no Chris doubt. Rock says, had to deal with real racism. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's true. And <laughs> you know I, I mean? think too, like, when it comes to someone like Russell, what we're what we're all trying to do, to your point, DA, earlier about not having the words, none of us have the words. What we're trying to do facts. is to at least, and in some ways, you know, your your writing is mourning. You're just thinking yeah. out loud. You're just trying yeah. to say something to put this in the sort of context to give the man um, a thank you, you know, to yeah. sort of say something along those lines, that place, and also to sort of check ourselves that everything is supposed to be better now. Well, Maybe not. Maybe our discourse also needs a little check-in as well. And I yeah. think that when yeah. when I think about Russell and I think about the Boston piece of the story, I love the fact that Bomani sort of put out, you know, that Marcus hit the Oakland story yeah, it just came in my right. inbox. So damn, I'm gonna yes. read it when I get out. Um but you know, from the from a Boston standpoint, it was just really important to me to sort of at least let people remember that yeah. the Celtics belong to black people. I know that that narrative yes. has been shifted and changed and twisted and distorted because of what's happened in the past. But this is also what happens when you allow white people and the white American mainstream to dictate everything. And they don't right. get to dictate everything. If you're black from Boston in the 1960s, in the 1970s, that team belonged to you. Yeah. And that should not be forgotten. Right. Sam it, Jones it, was the clutch one. Sam right, Jones. Right. Sam Jones was a scorer. Right. He and Heinsohn right. were the scorers no, 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 on that right. team. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And Jojo White. Put some respect Jojo on his name. You well. know what I mean? Like yeah. I get you. I got you. And and it came full circle to me, Howard. I, when when I when I covered the Celtics in 08 when they won, and I really felt like KG's presence was enormous oh, in KG, terms. KG's of, the. You know what I mean? He's the air. Like, they right. Have, you know, that's what I was that's heir. what I was thinking at the time was he seems to make it okay for younger black people to root for the Celtics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is the is the vibe I got from watching go being in Boston during that whole playoffs. I saw so many young black people in their 20s and 30s rocking jerseys and I was like, "Okay, he said it's okay. <laughs> exactly. You know what well, I mean? Like, because, oh, it's okay again, right? right? So. You got to do your trivia question. Now, KG got traded and Ray Allen got traded, but who's the greatest black player to join the Celtics voluntarily? Unrestricted free agent, that's my destination. Who's hmm. the best player to choose question. to do that? It's a, you know, Kyrie got traded. Now, he okayed the trade. K right. You know, KD might okay a trade to Boston. Ray right. Allen and those guys okayed right. the trade to Boston. But it was still a trade. Right. No, but by choice. Who's by free choice. Agent? Yes. It's a great question. That is it a great question. It doesn't happen. So, and, and the reason for that goes back to Ted Landsmark and that yeah. famous yeah. photo of right. somebody, you know, of a man trying to stab a lawyer with an American flag right. in government center. Right. Right. It's just so it, wild. <laughs> By the I, way, Kevin Kevin Garnett, South Carolina native who migrated to Chicago to for Chicago. High yes. Same story. <laughs> same story. Over and over again. Right. Same story. Yes. Same absolutely. story. Right. Absolutely. The answer, I believe, is probably Kemba Walker or Al Horford. Al Horford's a good call. That might, might be Al Horford. Yes. Could but be it was Al like thirty-seven-year-old Al Horford, but no, but the first time before the first the first time, so that was twenty sixteen. He went there the first time. Yeah, he, 30, he went there voluntarily. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's look, get you out on this. Give us give us one great rookie story that's in your book. 
Ooh, narrow it down. Let's see how you narrow do it down. There's only 700 of them in the book. I know. Um, I would still say my my favorite my favorite Ricky story is probably a toss up between 15 year old Ricky at Oakland Tech and being put on the JV because the new baseball coach didn't know anything about him and he just pointed at the different kids and Ricky looked like one of the smaller kids and he said you to the you know you to the JV and that Ricky looks at a grown man and says you must not know who I am that is so Oakland That's so man. right you must not know who I am that is so good. Ricky, I mean, Ricky hit him. Ricky hit him with the "you must not know about me" way before Beyonce. Not, exactly. <laughs> you know, you must have forgot. <laughs> Who does that? Is it, is it, it's a tenth grader. That is so awesome. You it's know? A, oh my god! I mean, Please. it's that, or it is. Last but not least, after they, after he's with the Blue Jays and they win the championship, the next year he joins the A's, and they go to play the Blue Jays. And when you drive into Sky Dome. There was a big billboard that had no words on it. It just had a picture of Joe Carter and then the time. Jumping in the air. Right, Jumping right. in the air. Joe Carter yes. hitting the home run. <laughs> yes. And so this starts a debate on the A's team bus about where was everybody during the Joe Carter home run. And everybody's going back and forth and talking about where they were. And Dave Feldman, the great statistician with KRON, is talking about how he was on his couch in San Francisco watching the game. And then there are other people going, chiming in about where they were. And suddenly, in the back of the bus, you hear this voice, I was on second base. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know just so you know hey, that's, that's a mic drop of mic drops oh I was on God. second base I did my job <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh my God Howard man this has been phenomenal there you go God almighty God uh, you know and I would say, you know what, and C-U-D-A on, on TNT and everything, I was like, I would like to do that, but I can't. Oh, uh, I know. I we can't. all we all, we really all fill in the picture in different places. I know. There you go. And Marcus, man, so proud of you. Y'all played y'all roles for me. Come on. Both of y'all, y'all set it up for me. That's no, all I was saying yeah. is that I was really, really nervous, and I'll let y'all go. I know you got to go. You got to go to the funeral down at the I yard. I got to go to the. I got. I told somebody yesterday. You know, this is like sit and shiver. You know what I mean. I was really concerned about this book the same way I was concerned about the Hank Aaron book because it's not my area. You know, with the Hank Aaron yeah. book, I was like, I got three problems. One, I was born in 1968. Henry was born in 1934. You can't be putting your 1968 on his 1934. Right. Is what I would have done back then. Right, right. 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 You can't. You can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know. Second issue. I'm born in Boston. He's born in Mobile. So you can't. You know, yeah. you really can't bring your Boston down to the South because they're not going to trust you. And of okay. course, the third thing is, is that, you know, Henry retired when I was seven years old. I have no institutional memory. I have no physical memory of watching him play. Yeah. The same was true in Oakland. Now, I started my career out there and I saw Ricky play in the whole thing. But Oakland is a very special, very unique place. And they know a phony when they see one. No, right. you have to yes. be able to sort of bring it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I say this story, I tell you this story because I was I was talking to a couple of dudes and I remember talking to I think it was Bip and Shooty Babbitt. Mm-hmm. And um and I was like, Okay, somebody from Oakland should be doing this book. And my boy, um, my boy Chris, who's one of my best friends who's from Oakland as well, he's a, he works over at Goldman Sachs and he was like you know, you're right. 
you know, and if you don't do it, Marcus Thompson is the only other guy who could do it. So just everybody's watching you as well and they love your work. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, um, I better make sure I get this right. <laughs> you did. You did, my yeah, brother. Yes, I'm, you did. I, I wouldn't fantastic. pick anybody else. As soon I remember you called me about it, I was hype, hype, hype. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yo, hype, hype. Let's go. That's, it's that's that look meat. that you give. The, it's a look that we all give our the brother across the street when you just go. Yeah, You're good. <laughs> that's what I want. I just want to get old enough to where I don't have to say hi no more. I just point. No, just give them the You know what I'm saying? Nah. <laughs> you know, I'm, but, only thing I might say is all right now. But, <laughs> yeah, all right now. Well, the other thing I always say too with with, with Mark's like one of the things that one of the professors uh, Lou Moore over at Grand Valley State was telling me was that whenever I go into a bookstore, I go into the sports section. And I go and look and see how many black authors are writing on black yeah. subjects. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. always pleases me when I notice that your stuff book is right next to mine. I love that. Yeah. Uh, like that Isn't we're awesome? in there Isn't and awesome? you're right. You know, alphabetically it doesn't quite work. <laughs> but you know, but I love the it's fact a lot, that it's you a lot are, between us, huh? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but I, I do love I I mean, I, I just love the fact that when I walk into a bookstore I usually somewhere along the line, I see one of your books and I love seeing that. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks for passing it down, the, baby. The, 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 yeah, the best is. of, the best of luck to, to you with, with everything, man, with the book, with the, the writing, everything, man. It's, it's, it's always, I always stop what I'm doing when I see you drop something. Cause well, come hit me up. I'll see you up. I'll also, be in your you town Friday night. town, by the way. You, you coming here Friday? Town, come so to let's Let's go eat somewhere. I'll, we'll go eat somewhere I will find sure. you. I'll be in town for five okay. days yeah. working working on the next book. There you go. And you oh, you, you adopted DC Oakland book? There, by oh, the way. Shit. I don't want to hear that mess. No, you my man coming in going right about some DC stuff. Now this angers me now. <laughs> I am not doing a DC. I am not doing a DC book. I I, I am doing. Um, a, You're doing book another book. It's okay. On, on Jackie Robinson testifying oh. against Paul Robeson in front oh, of. Oh, that's right. I saw that. Hewack. Oh so I'll be at the God. Library of Congress. How about that? Researching that Jackie oh and God. Paul Robeson. That is so great. That's gonna be great. Yeah. Jeez. Oh yeah. All right, so let's go do your safe thing. Travel. Thank you for having safe me. Safe travels, man. You got man, it. Man, y'all better leave it. Y'all better leave a five star review on this on Apple, on Spotify, <laughs> Google Play, every place you get this fine American podcast. Marcus, if if them heifers can't leave five stars, what do they need to do? Keep it to yourself, you haters. <laughs> <laughs> Oakland haters, Boston haters. Exactly. <laughs> hey, and Marcus, haters. don't forget, man, September 11th, I believe, will be in the Bay because Dave Stewart is getting his number retired. Yep, yep, oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm okay. in the building. That's Stu, you that. know what I'm saying? Stu, like, come on, man. That's my era right here. You that's know right. what I'm saying? Right, last, right. Yeah. All right, yeah, we out. I realized <laughs> what my high school coach did. He was a white guy. Coach on the old black team. My high school coach said, these are my kids. When I try to help kids, I don't say, uh, can I help the black kids? If there's a white kid there that needs help, I put them in the same category. The hope is the ambition of this country is that we work on our um, common humanity, create opportunities for kids that don't have enough help growing up.
There's no such thing as other people's kids. That's the next generation of America.